أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So inshallah today we're doing Surah Al-Sharh or Alam Nashrah there's different names for it um, this is Surah number 94 again a Mecki Surah that was revealed in similar times to Surah Al-Duha which we did last time right and like I told you in Surah Al-Duha, this Surah is actually pretty much complementary to Surah Al-Duha. Again, addressing the Prophet it's, it's a very close Surah to the Prophet because primarily the Prophet is being addressed here by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we will see that the similar um, you know, style is, is maintained. Alam nashrah laka sadrak. Allah will start by questioning the Prophet didn't I, about the favors you know, that Allah has given him. So similar theme continuing with Surah Al-Sharh. But before that, I just wanted to reflect on some ideas that I wanted to mention in Surah Al-Duha but wasn't able to. So Surah Al-Duha, one of the concerns of the Prophet was the pausing of revelation, right? He was concerned that the revelation was stopped for a while. And so this was an area of concern for the Prophet He was worried, what's happened? Is Allah upset with me? Did I do something wrong? Is it going to come back or no? You know? And so he started having all these doubts and concerns. And subhanAllah, this, if you just ponder upon this thought of the revelation pausing, this in itself is a miracle of the Prophet because what were the accusations being given to him? What were the accusations done against the Prophet ﷺ? That he was making this stuff up, that you know, these were his, his words, it was the words of the devil, some teacher was teaching him this stuff, a magician, you know, all these accusations. And here, revelation pauses. So subhanAllah, in the pause, there is that sense of duha, right? The sense of like light and, and glow and brightness that this is a genuine message. There's authenticity in this message and the proof of that is Allah can hold it back from him if he wants. If it, if it wasn't a miracle, then what would the Prophet do? He, he would, Ma'adullah, make stuff up, right? To continue the stuff. Why would he you know, allow revelation to be paused so that people would accuse him? This actually shows how honest the Prophet was and how authentic this message is. So you, you see that point? It's, it's beautiful. Another thing is the fact that the Prophet missed revelation. For him, the pause in revelation was dark times. Now let's compare that to ourselves. Do we feel that our life is filled with darkness when you know, we are disconnected from the Qur'an? Do we feel that we need that nur in our lives? You know, how hungry are we for this light? How hungry are we to understand this book? How hungry are we to you know, get guidance from this book? Unfortunately, and what we're seeing nowadays is a very ca casual and shallow relationship with the Qur'an when it comes to Muslims. Um, you know, like I've mentioned before, this Qur'an has become a book that we read Ramadan to Ramadan, you know, speed reading competitions. Uh, we send our kids to do memorization, we send our kids to do tahfid. But how many centers are out there that are helping us understand and connect with this book? Very few, right? You have Qur'an competitions and parents being proud that their children are becoming Hafid Qur'an and they're getting Tajweed and Ijazah and all these things are great, right? But I'm talking about getting guidance from this book. Guidance comes from this book when we connect with the book and we try to understand how this book relates to our lives. And unfortunately what I've seen is that 
this hunger and curiosity to learn and seek guidance from this book has pretty much, you know, gone. There is no interest, there is no appreciation. And subhanAllah, if you look at the first word that was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ was what? Iqra. Read. And if you think about just this word itself, this command, right? When does a person read? What makes a person read? Number one, interest. Number two, curiosity. Number three, willingness to learn. Right? Willingness to improve. All these qualities are there when it comes to reading. Otherwise, people won't read. And we are living in times where people don't read. People don't have this sense of curiosity anymore. People don't have this sense of willingness to learn more. Especially after school, khalas, the books are closed. You know, graduation, okay, alhamdulillah, I have the certificate. It's framed on my wall. I have a bachelor's degree, I have a master's degree, and khalas, it's time to work now. So we shut our minds off and we assume that we don't need to learn, we don't need to improve. So this willingness to improve and learn and read and fulfill our curiosity and search for the truth, search for answers, this hunger and curiosity is unfortunately in the Muslim ummah, yani, illa man rahimallah, but it is pretty much gone. Yani. We have the sense of satisfaction, that, alhamdulillah, we pray five times a day, we fast in Ramadan, we do our hajj, we do our zakah, alhamdulillah, we're fine. And so read, Allah is saying. It's, 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 and it's a command, right? It's not like, chalo, you want to read, read, you don't want to read. No, read. That's the, that's the first command given by Allah to humanity. Read. You have to have that willingness to learn and improve. And so, if we connect it to the Qur'an, we should actually be so addicted to this book and so connected to this book that we feel like when it's, when it's not there, it's like darkness for me. It's like that night. And when it's there, then it's like daylight. We should be yani, hungry to learn this book. And so, you know, every single one of us needs to ask himself this question. Why am I not hungry? Why am I not addicted to this book? What's more important? What are my other priorities in life? Right? Alhamdulillah, you know, throughout Ramadan we're doing Juz Amma and you know, it's, mashallah, it's, it's a good portion of the Quran, but there's 29 other Juz. Just the fact that there's so many surahs out there that we've never even looked at in terms of understanding, that in itself should be a feeling of burden on us, right? That what am I doing? I'm 18 years old, I'm 20 years old, I'm 30 years old. I've studied chemistry books that are this fat. I've studied physics books that are this fat. I've done 18 years of education and, you know, or 12 years of education, four years of college. What about my time for this book? What about my time for educating myself about the Qur'an, about the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What could be more important? You know? So we ask Allah, inshallah, throughout this series that we've started and inshallah we'll finish, that this hunger and, and you know, urge to know more and to search for the truth and to seek guidance continues after Ramadan, inshallah. You know? So we ask Allah to give us this, um, this appreciation for this book. So this surah is um, a Makki surah consisting of eight ayat. Okay? So it's a pretty, pretty short surah. And the overall theme is again, favors of Allah on the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it's divided into three categories. Okay? 
the first part of the category is um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the positive things that the Prophet has been given. Okay? Positive favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Messenger. The second part of it will talk about the difficulty and how the Prophet should manage tough times and conflict, okay? which all of us go through. And we'll talk about that in detail. The last part of the surah will talk about a very important concept of balancing between propagating the message and connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? And we'll talk about that inshallah in, in depth inshallah. So, a'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim Let's begin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam nashrah laka sadrak. Didn't we expand your chest? And who's Allah talking to? To the Prophet Didn't we expand your chest? And sharh means many things. One of them is open, open your chest, clarify misconceptions. Another meaning of this is make things easy, right? Make things easy for you. So this concept of opening, answering questions, understanding, making things easy for you. These are, these are the things that the Prophet, Prophet is being told by Allah that we did to your chest. It's as if, remember in the previous surah, we said that the Prophet was searching for the truth. He had this built in him, this curiosity. And therefore, he used to, even before revelation, what did he do? He used to go to the, the cave of Hira. And he used to meditate there. He, just, he, used, to, he used to look at the Kaaba. And you know, from the, from the cave of Hira, he had a view of the Kaaba. And so he would question. He would ask questions. He, he was searching for the truth. And he was concerned, he had this burden that what's gonna, you know, what's the answer to these questions? Why are these people worshipping idols? There's something messed up. Why are these people corrupt? And so what can, and the Prophet had answers and Allah saying, didn't we open your chest? How did Allah open his chest and give him the answers he was looking for? Through the Qur'an. So Qur'an is the book through which the Prophet was given this ease, this comfort. You know how sometimes you're, you're anxious to know something, you're curious to know something, you're confused about something. When you're confused and curious and you don't have answers, this creates this tension in your heart, in your chest. You know, this confusion, this doubt. I don't know what the answer is. But the moment the answer comes, what happens? We call it that light bulb moment, right? The aha moment. That's what Sharh al-Sadr is. That's, that's what Allah is telling us here happened to the Prophet When the Qur'an came, this is what opened up the hearts. And this happens to non-Muslims over and over again. You hear stories of Muslims who, or non-Muslims who read the Qur'an and then what happens? They just, you know, fall down in tears. This Qur'an answers their questions, this doubt, this, this hunger. And why do non-Muslims have that? Because they're born into non-Muslim families, right? And so the fitrah is there, but they just have, don't have the right answers. What happened to Muslims? We're born into Muslim families. And so we have the, you know, passport already to Jannah. Everyone thinks he has the passport to Jannah, everything is fine, right? And so we get comfortable, that's why we don't have that curiosity. As for the, you know, the, the Christian born into a Christian family, as for the, you know, the atheist or the, you know, Hindu or whatever religion, they have the sense of searching for the truth. SubhanAllah. So we have... A treasure in our hands, but we have taken it for granted, right? We haven't really appreciated its value. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is questioning the Prophet Didn't we open your chest? And the previous surah, he also questioned, Alam yajidka Didn't he find you an orphan and he gave you shelter? 
right? Same question, uh, same style is being repeated in the surah. And so here, what we're also not noticing is that when the human being understands this book, there's a sense of happiness. And I don't know if you've, you've felt this throughout this series, right? When sometimes certain ayat are explained thoroughly and with examples and ease, with good examples from rele relevant ideas of, of our, our times, what happens? You get a sense of happiness and content. That's called sharh al-sadr. That's called opening the chest. When understanding revelation become, makes you happy. Right? And this is what's happening to the Prophet ﷺ over and over and over again as revelation is coming. So no doubt when the revelation stopped for a while, what happened to him? He went into depression. He got used to this, this book coming down and he got used to this, you know, it was like fuel for his ruh. And so when it was disconnected in the previous surah, we learned what happened. The Prophet ﷺ got worried. What happened? Did I do a mistake? Is Allah upset with me? You know? And so this is the relationship that Allah, Allah has instilled in the Prophet ﷺ. This is the relationship the Prophet ﷺ has with the Qur'an. It is like food for his ruh. Just like we need food to survive in the bodily sense, the Prophet ﷺ here is teaching us that Qur'an is as important for our, our spirits and our souls and our ruh. As important. But we have a major imbalance, right? We take care of the body and the ruh is ignored. We also learn from um, Sirah that the Prophet ﷺ physically got cleansed, his chest got cleansed, right? With the, the incident of the angels literally ripping up open his chest and cleansing his heart out, you know? And this happened during childhood and another riwayah, this happened again during the Isra'ul Mi'raj. So there's, of course, difference of opinion, but we can say it happened twice in the lifetime of the Prophet Once before he was a prophet, when he was a child, and next during his prophethood. Literal cleansing of his chest, literally taking out his heart on a plate and cleansing it with water and ice, subhanAllah. And so, you know, doubt in the minds of people ha it creates this unease. Whereas on the opposite, when you have clarity, when you have, you know, uh, submission, then this, this brings ease. And therefore, a believer who is completely, has full certainty of this message, he has ease in his life. Everything becomes easy. He, he has confidence. As for those who have doubts, things become in, uneasy. And we talked about this with Surah Al-Duha. People today, even Muslims, have doubts about their deen. You know? They have really you know, basic questions that no one is answering. And people are avoiding answering. And people are actually accusing them of having these doubts rather than addressing their questions. You know? Unfortunately, this has been happening over and over again. And so there's this unease in their hearts, in their chests. No one is doing sharh al-sadr for them. So here we're learning is that it is the right of every human being to ask questions. There's no wrong question to ask. No. It's okay to ask questions, even if they seem inappropriate. You know, even if they seem inappropriate, it's okay to ask. Even if our children ask inappropriate questions, like my daughter asks me like weird questions sometimes about, you know, what Allah looks like, how big is His hand. And so these are valid questions. We can't say, Astaghfirullah, shut up. No, you can't say this. Don't talk like that. Aib. You know? Unfortunately, that's how we react. And so these doubts remain in their hearts and their minds. And then what happens as they get older? They see a YouTube video of an atheist, five-minute clip, complete brainwashed and... They leave, they leave this Islam. 
they stop praying. They're like, what's the point of praying if I don't even understand these basic concepts? No one's answering my questions, my doubts. And so, you know, this doubt creates unease. And remember this. There are two main weapons of shaitan. Okay? One is shahawat, the desires, the temptations, which are in the heart. And the other is shubuhat, which are doubts in the mind. These are the two poisons that shaitan constantly attacks us with. Shahawat in the heart, desires, especially for the opposite gender. Because we know from an ayah of the Qur'an where Allah says, زُيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ حُبُّ الشَّهَوَاتِ What's number one on the list? مِنَ nisa. That beautified, Allah has made it beautiful to people, especially men here, several things. Number one on the list is women. Okay, so that attraction to the opposite gender, that is your, the biggest shahwa that we have. After that come children, after that comes money, after that comes cars and, and you know, cattle and, and uh, land and property. All these things come later. So Allah here is, you know, teaching us that we need to have this, uh, you know, this idea of sh- controlling the shahawat and clarifying these doubts. Otherwise, shaitan is there. You know, doubts in the mind, questions not being answered, questions that youth today have that they are, they're shy of asking or they're scared of asking because maybe the Molvi Saab will, you know, give them a slap or he might, you know, call them a kafir or murtad or something, right? So this fear of asking and this, you know, embarrassment of asking is a major problem. So we need to open up to them, right? And we learned from the previous surah, As for the one who comes to ask, ask you anything, don't humiliate them, don't push them back. Don't make them feel bad, don't, they, don't embarrass them. Be accommodating to them. And so, Alam nashrah laka sadrak. This deen is supposed to open up our chests. There's, there's no question that goes unanswered in this book. If only we paid attention to it, you know. And so here, what is, what is this burden in the Prophet ﷺ? One of them is, you know, like they say, the burden of carrying this message, this inviting people to Islam. It's a heavy thing on him, right? Allah is saying through the Qur'an, we're making things easy for you. Another thing we notice from Musa salam, you know, he had the prob- problem of stuttering in his talk. And he had also patient, patience problems, right? He had anger issues. He used to react quickly. Like. So specifically when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, go and invite Fir'aun to purify himself, he made the dua, right? رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسْرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْعُقْدَةً مِّنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي And so first one, Ya Allah, open my chest. Make this easy for me. I have anger issues, Ya Allah. Give me ease. Give me comfort. Make this task easy for me. And so for the Prophet ﷺ also preaching this message in being a minority in Mecca where most of the people are disbelievers and people are willing to attack him and accusing him of messed up things. Allah is saying that this book will give you that comfort. Through this book. And so this burden. In another place in the Quran, Allah says that we, you know, if we sent down this book on a mountain, it would crumble into pieces because it wouldn't be able to handle the power and the, you know, the burden of the Quran. But Allah says that the human being was given this responsibility of holding on to this book and taking up that task, taking up that responsibility of this book. Subhanallah. So, أَلَمْ نَشْرَحْ لَكَ صَدْرَكَ 
And then, وَوَضَعْنَا عَنْكَ وِزْرَكَ And we removed this burden from you. So we just, we just learned what the burden was, right? The burden of, you know, propagating this message, the burden of, you know, hearing all these insults and all these accusations and seeing his companions being tortured, some even being killed, him being threatened to be killed. These are all burdens, right? Imagine how this... And who's, by the, who's humiliating him? Think about it. Who's calling him crazy? Who's calling him a magician? Who's calling him possessed by jinn? His own family, which is even more, like, it hurts more, right? When your uncle says you're crazy, it hurts more than when a stranger on the street tells you you're crazy. Right or no? And we know, we know and we'll study this in Surah Al-Kawthar, when the Prophet ﷺ, you know, whenever he brings a child boy, the, the boys basically die in an early age. And so, his own family used to say to him that you are abtar, you have no lineage after you, you have no sons that will take over your name after you. He used to call him abtar. Who? His own, chil his own family, his own uncles. How hurtful is that, right? Your own family making fun of you and, and calling you all these names. And so this, these were huge burdens. He, stones were thrown on him, literally, you know. He bled for us and he you know, had to face so many hardships. He had to leave his house for this message. Right? He left hijrah, left everything behind for the sake of this message. So between the lines, you know, I was thinking how do we connect with this ayah? Because that's my job, right? To, to help myself and you guys connect with this ayah. Now this, these are the burdens of the process of them. Let's ask ourselves what are our burdens nowadays? You know? What is the wizard that we have on our, show, on our backs? Is Real Madrid going to win or Barcelona? Is, you know, why the internet is so slow? Why there's not enough salt in the food? Right? How come I didn't get my payment on time? My, I have a bad hair day. My tie doesn't match with my shirt. <laughs> you know? SubhanAllah. These are the burdens we have, right? Or no? Am I making this stuff up? So compare what you know, burdens we have to what burdens the Prophet had. What were his priorities? What was his mission? And you know, we call ourselves Muslims, but then the Prophet expects us to carry on this legacy, doesn't he? Right or no? If we are Muslims, then we have to carry on the legacy of the Prophet his mission, his desire, and what, what would worry him should be worrying us today. But is it really worrying us today? Is, are these, are we, do we even care about this message? Do we care about how people are you know, turning away from deen? Do we care about non-Muslims not even knowing about this deen? They only know that Islam is a deen of terrorism and a deen of you know, suppressing women. Does it bother us? Or all we're concerned about is food on the plate and you know, getting enough sleep? That's another burden, right? I didn't get eight hours of sleep. I only had five hours of sleep. You know, I didn't get a promotion this year. SubhanAllah. So, another reminder for us that, yani, where are we from the burden of the Prophet ﷺ? If we claim to be Muslims, we claim, we claim to be follow, followers of the Prophet ﷺ, then just like the Sahaba, the, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ continued this legacy, similarly, it is our job also. You know, we got to continue this stuff, yani. We have to have the same concerns. And so that, again, it comes back to that concern, right? Do we have a concern? Do we care or no? 
Do we care about humanity? Do we care about our Muslim brothers and sisters? Do we care about our youth? Do we care about our spouses being away from deen and having all this confusion? You know, because if that care is not there, then we're going to be selfish. Then we're we're going to be istighna. We're going to be people who just concern, are concerned about ourselves. And so, you know, sometimes we think that this care about the ummah and about people being close to Islam, we think this is only for the scholars and for the da'is. Is that true? No. Every single, every single Muslim should have this mini burden in them that, you know, I need to teach this stuff to my kids. I need to teach this stuff to my wife and to my husband and to our children and our families and we need to spread this message. And it should bother us when people are running away from deen and people who are, you know, not practicing and people who don't even know about Islam. This concern should be there. So, just a small reminder here about this was the burden of the Prophet This should be our burden also. And then, Allah then says, this is the burden that we removed from your back. Literally, this was, means this burden was so much that it was about to break his back. Now again, this is a separate ayah, so we need to ponder, right? This is how serious this matter was to the Prophet Compare that to our seriousness about this deen. You know, how committed are we to the, to the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ? This burden was so much that he felt that his back was about to break. And Allah is saying, we removed, we lifted that burden off your shoulder. So, you know, what are, what are the other burdens? The corruption in society. We saw from the previous surahs, there was so much corruption being spread in society. Does that hurt us? When we see poverty being spread in society, does that hurt us? Do we have a concern for this? How committed are we to solve this problem? When we see orphans being humiliated, orphans not being given honor, how much does that hurt us? How much do we care about that stuff? You know? So these are the things that we need to really think about. And you know, nowadays, unfortunately, with, with media and YouTube, you know what happens? We see a three-minute clip about something going on, for example, in Syria or somewhere, and we really get touched, and maybe a few tears drop by. But then what happens 15 minutes later? We're watching a funny video on YouTube now. And then we're watching a, you know, a goal, a soccer match or a cricket match or you know, Shah Rukh Khan movie or something, right? So like our sensitivity and seriousness goes like that. Why? Because we're in the age of you know, information overload. We get bombarded with information and so these, these feelings don't last. We're not, yani, for us it's just about like that TV channel, you know? You have a satellite TV channel or satellite TV, the remote, you have a thousand channels, you just keep going, 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 going. Uh, like you don't, you don't even realize you've been through 800 channels like over two hours. And you, subhanAllah, you see something nice that you watch but you still keep turning the channels. Right? It just becomes this habit. And then you go on YouTube, you see one video, that mashallah is a lecture, nice Islamic lecture, but then you see a pop-up of a funny video and you watch that and then it takes you to another video, another suggestion. And then you check the time, subhanAllah, three hours went by. Watching video after video. It started with a nice Islamic lecture. It ended up with something really shameless that's going to mess up your entire iman. You know? And so, similarly with Instagram, right? You, you see people, they have the smartphone and all they're doing is this. Right? Just... Or it's actually up, right? Scrolling up. I was scrolling down. So scrolling up, literally. 
One photo after another, after another, after another, after another. We don't, like, subhanAllah, and, and some, of these, some of these photos are really like high impact, right? You'd see like an eye of the Quran and nature, but it just passes. You're just going. Facebook, you're just scrolling down, checking stuff. WhatsApp, you're just checking messages, checking one video after another, after another, after another. So, yani, we're not being present with these moments. You know, it doesn't impact us anymore. These feelings don't impact us. And if that impact is there, it goes away quickly. Why? Because of this weapons of mass distraction around us, you know? So, you know, we really need to be wise on how we do this, how we control what information is going on in our mind and what's corrupting our heart versus not. And so, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And we indeed elevated your remembrance. And here, subhanAllah, there's different interpretation of what this means. What does it mean to, to elevate his name? Number one, <coughs> the fact that every single adhan that goes on, Allah, Allah's messenger's name is mentioned, right? And we know this from geographical uh, point of view that, you know, adhan keeps going on or all around the globe cons- consecutively, one second after another. It st- starts here. The moment it's over here, it's starting in the next city. It's starting in the next city, and the next city, and the next city. So the tw- 24 hours, 7 days a week, the Prophet's name is elevated. And it's, it's elevated along with Allah's name, right? When someone accepts jihada, what does he say? La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. If you say La ilaha illallah alone, are you a Muslim? No. Allah has given his name such a high honor that it's actually in the shahada, in the adhan. It's in our tashahud. Every single salah we pray, we're remembering his name. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ That angels and Allah, Allah and the angels send their blessings and their peace upon the messengers. So whenever, whenever he's mentioned, we're also supposed to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is the honor. Some say, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ is actually... The idea that you know, he will be given this high status of maqam and mahmuda on the Day of Judgment. Maqam and mahmuda. And the fact that he's going to be given the you know, ability to do shafa'a on behalf of his ummah. Which a lot of us are counting on, right? A lot of Muslims, mashallah, they count on, like they live their life of partying. Inshallah, we will be among those who the Prophet does shafa'a to. Yeah. We forget that Prophet also will be a witness against his ummah. Yes, he will do shafa'ah to part certain people of his ummah, but we also learn from the Qur'an, he will be a witness against some people. And, you know, a classic example of that is, you know, an ayah in the Qur'an where Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet is complaining to him, Ya Rabb, inna qawmi, my people, ittakhadu hadha al-Qur'ana mahjura. That my people have deserted this Qur'an. This will be a complaint that the Prophet is going to make on the Day of Judgment. Where will we stand? When he makes that complaint. And you know, another place we learned that the Prophet is going to be shahid. He's going to be a witness, either for us or against us. If we live up, if we live up to his message and his legacy, then inshallah he'll be a witness for us. He'll say, Ya Allah, yeah, this guy, he lived up to the message. He, he gave his time, he gave his youth, he gave his effort, he did whatever he could. You know, or witness against us. If we completely disconnect ourselves from this mission and this legacy and we live our selfish lives of just eating, drinking, sleeping, getting married, you know, and dying. 
you know, which is, what's the difference between that lifestyle and the lifestyle of an, an animal? Animals exist to eat, drink, sleep, have babies and die, right? And subhanAllah, so many human beings are living that lifestyle today. This lifestyle of entertainment. And so, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ We have elevated your status. And subhanAllah, you know, we live in times now where every other month and every six months we have this cartoon coming up of insulting the Prophet and the entire ummah gets angry and flags start burning and, you know, bombs start exploding. <laughs> we react with anger to these incidences. And here we're learning that Allah is saying, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ So if Allah has guaranteed that His name is high, we don't need to be reacting with anger. Because these cartoons will never bring His name down. Because who has elevated His name? Allah has elevated His name. In fact, the more we get angry and the more we react negatively, these clippings will be broadcast on Fox News and CNN and BBC. And, and people will say, ah, this is Islam. Burning, angry people. Long beards and angry people, you know? This is the picture that they see. This is the Muslim. SubhanAllah. And there's like a burnt flag and fire, you know? Angry face. This is the picture of Islam. And, and it, it sounds funny, but honestly, even children nowadays, they, they see, like my nephew, um, you know, I used to watch Dr. Israr lectures at home. Whenever he would come, my nephew would come, he would see me start crying. SubhanAllah, you know, they think that this is some like scary, uh, you know, creature or something. And uh, we, you know, we encourage these thoughts sometimes, right? So we need to be careful. I mean, yani, how we react to these situations, these circumstances, we need to use wisdom, you know. Allah says, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ The Prophet's status is high. You don't need to worry about it. And another mention here is that Allah raised his status how? His mention. Because the Prophet was actually mentioned by name in the previous scriptures. Right? In the Jewish scriptures, in the Torah, in the Injil. He's, he's mentioned by name. And Allah says that they know him like they know their fathers. Because it's mentioned in their, in their books. But what did they do with their books? They censored this stuff out. They tore those pages out. They removed those, you know. They played around with their books. But this is how elevated his status is. So another thing here that's interesting is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the Prophet in the Qur'an. It's very unique. Allah raised his status even in terms of how he addresses him in the Qur'an. No other Prophet is given that honor. Like when Allah would talk about, uh, address Musa, he would say, Ya Musa, when he talked to, you know, um, Isa, Ya Isa, Ya Yahya, he would call them by name. But never does Allah do in the Qur'an, never does he address him by name. He never says, Ya Muhammad. He always gives him respect. Ya ayyuhan nabi. Ya ayyuhan rasul. Subhanallah. And in the places where Muhammad is mentioned as a name, it's, I believe it's mentioned four times, there's always his title, Muhammadun Rasulullah. There's always that title of honor is always embedded with, with his name. So even the way Allah addresses the Prophet in the Quran is unique. وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ and so here also, one last thing is that Allah tells us in the Qur'an that when we follow the Prophet we're following Allah. You want to follow Allah? Follow the Prophet And another place, if you claim to love me, then, follow, then love my Prophet. 
Subhanallah, you want to prove your love to Allah? Love the Prophet You want to follow Allah's commands? Follow the Prophet yeah, what higher status can, can we, you know, give someone? وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ And Allah comes to the central theme of the surah. فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى There is no doubt about it. إِنَّ means there is no doubt about it. مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى It's really beautiful, these words. With difficulty comes lots of ease. Usually in the translation, you'll see, see, I'll read the translation. Indeed, with hardship, will be ease. That's all you'll see in the translation. But this is not doing justice to the ayah. So Allah says, فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ With one difficulty comes multiple eases. Yusra, Yusra, Yusran Which means multiple eases with one difficulty. And Allah is saying, فَإِنَّ There's no doubt about it. And Allah didn't say, after difficulty comes ease. You know, sometimes like you go to like a condolence, uh, you know, ceremony. Someone's family passed away, and you and you. What do we usually say? Inshallah, koi baat na. Allah thik kar dega. Allah will make things easy for you later on. Inshallah, in the future. I mean, these are tough times, but be patient. Allah will make things easy for you later on. Allah is saying, no, 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 no. Simultaneously, as that bad thing happened, something, m- many good things are happening, which we don't know about. So what we should actually say to correct our statement is when we go to condolences, you say, don't worry about it. Be patient. Allah is giving you many eases right now with this difficulty. This is the correct understanding of this ayah. And Allah repeated this ayah twice to emphasize, you know, to emphasize this point. And, you know, I mean, we could go on and on about how and what kinds of difficulties we go through in our lives, right? And, and it's every single person is going through some sort of difficulty. For some, it's maybe your breadwinner role. You know, you don't have a, a job that's enough for you to get married, maybe. That's one difficulty. For others, it's about, you know, not being happy with your marriage, maybe. Or your kids are doing drugs. Or your kids are not praying. That's a difficulty you have. For others, maybe it's about fighting over inheritance and stuff like that. And someone doing zulm and taking away your share of inheritance. So every single one of us, we have different types of difficulties in our lives. Someone passes away, someone going through some sickness or disease, right? There's all these difficulties and Allah is saying with difficulty comes, comes with it multiple eases. And Allah repeats this twice. Why does He repeat it twice? There's different opinions, but one of them is that one is talking about dunya, the other is talking about akhirah. That I'll make things easy for you in this life, guaranteed. And I'll make things easy for you in the next life. And the other thing, the other uh, view is that, you know how sometimes when you're talking to your kid, like let's say my daughter just uh, got a B in her exam. She comes home crying. That no, I wanted an A and you know, I don't know why I got a B. So what do I tell her? I tell her, it's okay, Nof. It's okay, you did well. Don't worry about it, you did excellent. You did excellent, Nof. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. When do we repeat statements? To assure someone, right? To, to really give them consolation and assurance. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ is being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is assuring him by telling him, with difficulty comes many eases. With difficulty comes many eases. 
And what are the difficulties the Prophet is going through? Many, right? We already discussed them. The fact that people are rejecting his message. And why is it such a big burden on the Prophet Unlike any other burden of any other messenger from the past. Because all the prophets of the past were sent to specific people with a specific message. And every single prophet in the past knew that there were prophets coming after him. So the burden wasn't that much, right? There was a burden, but not that much. But in the case of the Prophet ﷺ, he knew that this is the final message and there will be no other prophet coming after him. And therefore the burden is many times, many, many multiples of the previous prophets. Why? Because he, he, this is his only chance. And you know, he keeps reading these ayat about day of judgment and death and stuff, so he knows that life is short. It could end any time. And so there's, he's like pretty much running against the clock to give his best, you know, and make sure he, he propagates this message in his best form. And so this is the burden that he has. And then Allah says in the conclusion of this ayah, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ And this is also beautiful on how Allah is teaching us balance, right? On the one hand, we learn that the Prophet's message is to Get people to guidance, right? To make life, people's lives easier. But on the other hand, because it's difficult, Allah is saying, you want ease? I'll give you a, a technique to give you this ease, to remind you of this ease. What's the technique? The moment you finish your duties, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ From faragh, right? Well, the moment you finish your duties, فَانْصَبْ Stand up. Just like نُصَبْ means that peg of the mountain, right? Stand up in prayer. So what are we learning here? Allah is teaching the Prophet that your job in the day is to do remember we said this in Surah Al-A'la dhakr, remind people because people are forgetting people are you know, being distracted they're being deluded they're being distracted by shaitan so remind them of death remind them of the day of judgment remind them that this life is temporary and the next life is the real party Remind them of the rewards of Jannah. Remind them of the benefits of coming to guidance, even in dunya, you know. And so, during the day, your job is to remind. And during the night, sabbih. Declare the perfection of your master. And how do we do tasbih? Through prayer. Through prayer. And so here comes a very also important point that I'd like to talk about a bit. The difference between means and the objective. Okay? Means and the objective. So, what's the difference between means and the, and the goal? Me coming here today was the objective, right? What was the means? My car. And my car obviously needs gas and petrol in it to, for, for me to be able to come here. Correct or no? And so, if I went to the petrol station and filled my car with gas and I just parked there, would that fulfill the objective of putting gas in my car? No, because what was the objective? Coming here, right? Now, question for you all is, is prayer the goal or is it a means to a bigger goal? Prayer is actually a means to a bigger goal. But what have we treated it like nowadays? Objective. Alhamdulillah. Five prayers done. Alhamdulillah. Allah kishukariya. Fajr parli, alhamdulillah. Quran parli, alhamdulillah, you know. 
Rose Rakliya. We fasted, alhamdulillah. All 30, we prayed Qiyam, checklist done. You know, Hajj Karliya, alhamdulillah. I'm Hajji now. And so we have this feeling of, you know, done. Farag again, you know, we, we finished prayer, Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, alhamdulillah, Farag again. You know, done. It's as if that was the objective. What we're learning here is that for the Prophet Allah is teaching us that the standing up at night was the fuel for him to get up in the morning next day to face these people. Right or no? And look at the contrast, subhanAllah. In the morning, he's facing the worst people. He's talking to the worst people in the, during the day. And at night, he's talking to the, to the best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's having two conversations. One during the day with the most evil people on earth. And at night, he's having a conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah saying, call me at night. Get done and then call me. We'll talk. Literally, you know, and this is something that human, like, human beings do, right? Like when you go through difficulty, what do you do? You usually call the per- person you love. If it's your wife, you call her and you say, listen, I need to talk, man. I had a really bad day at work today, man. I had a fight with my boss and I nearly like, knocked him out. But, you know, so you, you vent, right? Venting is part of human nature. You want to vent to those you love. Sometimes mothers, right? We have a concern, we just go and talk to our Mothers, you vent to them and you cry. And when you vent, what do you do? You sometimes cry. And that's why, you know, I recommend you guys, whoever is searching for a career, become a psychotherapist. You know? Because all your job is to basically invite clients to lay down on a sofa and vent to you and cry. And you just have to say, uh-huh, yeah. And then what happened? Okay, tell me. Yes. What next? And then they pay you $500 an hour, you know? For listening, <laughs> literally, that's the job of a you know a counselor or a therapist, right? They just listen to you and you, and and they vent to you. And sometimes, why do people go to these therapists? Because they don't have anyone to talk to. They're so lonely; they have no one to talk to. They're willing to pay big bucks to strangers just to vent. And they'll come one, and he'll say, "Mashallah, very good. I'll see you, inshallah, next session next week. Okay, bring five hundred dollars with you." And just keeps going on and on and on and on. Why? Because they have no one to talk to. What is Allah teaching us here? I am there. And whenever you call me, I'll pick up the phone. The ringtone is never going to be busy or, you know, la yumkin bih, right? The number cannot be found. It's never going to be a busy tone. There's never going to be call waiting. You're not, you're not going to be standing in queue. Allah is busy with someone else. Hold on, you know. He'll be with you in 10 minutes. Would you like to leave a message? No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers the call every single time. And you know how sometimes like when we go to like uh, visit VIPs, people of wealth, because like, I used to do a lot of fundraising, right, for investments and stuff. You go see these millionaires, billionaires, right. First of all, you struggle with getting a meeting, Right. And when you do get a meeting, you go inside, how much time does he give you? Yeah, if you're lucky, five minutes, ten minutes. You know, if he's interested, he'll talk more. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is there a limit to our meeting with him? No limit. He's never going to say, you know what, uh, Fahad, you know, I really have to go, man. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to say? No. 
Never. There's no interruptions, no disruptions. And when you stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is giving you full attention. You know, like when you go to VIPs, what are they doing? They're either reading the news, checking their phone while, while you're pitching your product, right? They're not giving you full attention. Secretary is calling. They're checking their WhatsApp, you know. You can't say anything to them because they're the boss. You need their money, right? Here Allah is saying, I will give you full attention. Open invitation. Anytime. You know, Allah la ilaha illahu qayyum You know, one of the greatest ayahs of the Quran. He is, you know, la sinatun wa la He doesn't need to sleep. You can call him anytime. You know? Always accessible. And so he's telling the Prophet, I know you're gonna face hardships, you need to fuel. So the objective of praying is to fuel our iman. Okay? And through fueling the iman, it will give us the strength to get up and continue the, mis- the mission the next day. You get the idea? So prayer has all of a sudden not become the, the goal, it, be- it became the means. Prayer is the system. Allah has designed five times a day, fuel station stops. Come fill your gas. Fill your, fill your gas with iman so that you can continue working for me. And then when you run out of fuel, come again. It's Luhur time. Fill up. And then Asr time, Maghrib time, Isha time. Subhanallah. So it, yani, this is a paradigm shift in our entire ibadat. Prayer is a means to a bigger goal. Similarly, uh, Ramadan, right? Fasting. Is the objective to fast 30 days and khalas? Or is, is it supposed to prepare us for the 11 months that are coming? It's a means to a bigger goal. You see that, right? What have Muslims made Ramadan? The goal. Alhamdulillah, 30 days I fasted, prayed, made dua, Eid, party time. You know? Khalas, we just go back to square one. So 11 months we party, one month we give to Allah. Allah is saying, no, this one month should be your fuel so that you can survive for 11 months. Build your good habits in this one month and I'll take care of you for 11 months. You know? So, you know, we need to shift the way we think about ibadat. And here Allah is teaching us this stuff. And, you know, nasab also means, remember we, we learned from Surah Al-Ghashiyah, Amilatul Nasiba, people who will enter hellfire, but they worked extremely hard on that day, uh, extremely hard in dunya. They were nasiba, they were extremely hard. So here Allah is telling us that when it comes to prayer also, don't be lazy about it, yani. focus on prayer. Okay? And of course, this is not a call for me, I'm not calling you all to start doing Qiyam al-Layl from now onwards, yani, you know? But just to, for you to understand, this was something that the Prophet ﷺ was given as a, as a duty to do because he was going through tough times. But another beautiful, completely different way of looking at this is what? فَإِذَا فَرَقْتَ فَانْصَبْ when you, when you finished your tasks, stand up, وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَارْغَبْ And ask your master, what next, Ya Rabb? This is another way of looking at it. So you know how like you have tasks to do, right? Things to do. So Allah is saying, okay, when you're done with your tasks, come stand up for me and wait and ask me what I need to do next, Ya Rabb. What are we learning here? That the life of the Prophet ﷺ, there was no rest pretty much, Yani. 
There was, it was task after task after task after task after task. You know? Yani, for him, it was not about, I'm done with my tasks, time for a vacation for two months, I'm going to the Maldives. You know? Have you heard about any vacation for the Prophet Going somewhere with Aisha Radhanaha, one month break, summer holidays. So, when you're done with your task, stand up. وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ And to your master, فَرْغَبْ Ask, seek. Seek what? Seek, Ya Allah, what more do you want me to do for you? So we're learning obedience here. We're learning the relationship between a slave and his master. You know? Ya Allah, you, you tell me what to do, I'm ready. Standing up. And that's technically what we do in salah, don't we? We do fansab, right? We're standing in prayer. And subhanAllah, the way we stand in prayer, if you look at like... Um, the rows, right? How do we stand? We stand like an army, right? Shoulder to shoulder, ankle to ankle, standing up straight, just like an army. An army stand up like this, why? Waiting for what? Waiting for the command from the commander, right? From the army general. But what do we do after we stand up? Ya Allah, we're ready. After prayer, time for going back to my haram business. Time for going back to my movies and my music and my shamelessness and my girlfriend and my drugs and my alcohol, right? So we haven't, we haven't understood the concept of ibadah. Allah's preparing us that, you know, stand up in prayer, commit, commit to being my slave and then after salam, we should get up and start working. This should be a time of work. So for us, you know, the Prophet ﷺ, he used to say to Bilal when he used to give adhan, Arihna biha ya Bilal. Ya Bilal, give us comfort with it. Because Bilal was his mu'adhan, right? Ya Bilal, yalla, give adhan, it's time for us to relax. So salah for them was a time of what? Relaxation. Which means between salah, what's happening? Hard work. Effort. What has happened to us now? The opposite, right? Between salah, we're chilled, we're relaxed, watching TV, checking YouTube, Instagram, you know, watching cricket. And then when it's time for salah, oh, oh hard work time. And so, you know, tension, ojiti, and we start being tense in salah, and we're, it's like a big burden on us. That's the hard work. The moment we say, salam alaykum wa salam we go back to relax mode. So salah has not become a means of relaxation, it has become a means of hard work for us. And so it's completely the opposite. Yeah. And the Prophet ﷺ also in another hadith said that جُعلت قرة عيني في الصلاة That the coolness of my eyes has been put in salah. Which means this is the most beautiful thing to me, the most beloved thing. This coolness of the eyes was used for the, the traveler in the desert who would be searching, he would be hungry, it's hot, he's searching for water and all of a sudden he sees this, you know, Pond of water, and that's his coolness. It make, what does, when he sees that pool of water, what, what happens to his face? He's happy. He goes and he splashes water over his face, drinks some water. How does he feel? Nourished and relaxed and finally satisfied. The Prophet is saying that my day was full, filled with tension and hard work and struggle, but salah was the time of relaxation. And that's why we make wudu, preparing for that relaxation. You know how like sometimes you have a hard work, hard, uh, you know, work, hard day at work, it's difficult, you've struggled, a lot of things to do, you came home, you're sweating, you're stinking, and you, know, you have dinner, and then what do you do? You take a shower, clean up, and then what do you do? 
Time to relax now, please. Don't talk to me. I will work, nothing. I just want to spend time with kids. Relax. Spend time with my wife, my parents. It's time for relaxation then. But what did we do before relaxing? Take a shower. So similarly, wudu is that shower that we take after hard work. Work hard, take a shower, relax in salah. Then get up, work hard, get sweaty and dirty, take a shower in wudu, relax in salah, subhanAllah. So, another beautiful thing here, فَإِذَا فَرَقْتَ فَانْصَبْ Another beautiful lesson. Faraqta means to either become free, like you know, when you're busy and you become free. It also means, faragh means emptiness, which means empty your heart and then stand up in prayer for me. Which is another profound lesson in this ayah. Empty your heart from all the filth and all the negative diseases that you have. Empty your heart from anger and then stand up in prayer for me. Empty your heart from jealousy and then stand up in prayer for me. Empty your heart from, you know, all this um, greed and ego and arrogance and then stand up in prayer. You know how sometimes you, you, you just had a fight with someone, you're still angry, but you stand up, it's time for Isha, you stand up in prayer. What are you thinking about throughout the whole salah? About how messed up that guy is, he insulted me, you know, he bezat ki and you know. Your whole salah, you don't even feel how it goes by. You're thinking about that. Allah is saying, no, 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 no. Before standing up in prayer, faragh. Faragh karo. Literally. Empty your mind. Empty your heart. So we're learning two things. Empty your heart. Forgive. People who have insulted you, people who have, you know, done harm to you, forgive them and then stand in prayer. Then you will connect with me. If you come with filled negative feelings in your heart, you won't connect with me. Yes, you're going to be standing, but your mind will be somewhere else. You won't have focus. You won't be present. And that is, that is what khushu' is. Allah says in Surah Al-Mu'minun that قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ That the believers have certainly succeeded. Why? Number one, الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Those who when they stand up in prayer, they have khushu' they, they have focus, they have concentration, they have presence. Being present in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not having things on your mind. So what are the two things we need to empty? Our heart from negative feelings and our mind also. Empty your mind from these thoughts. You know, you have bills to pay, you, you know, have work to do, you have messages to check, you have emails, you have tasks to do. No, Allah is saying, فَرَغْ فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ Empty your, your mind and then come and pray. Then you will feel quality prayer. وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ And lastly, Allah is saying, and come directly to your master, longingly, فَرْغَبْ Seeking his pleasure. And this is all about intentions, you know? Coming to him, seeking his um, pleasure. And, and here we're learning, don't do multitasking. Sometimes, you know, unfortunately we do multitasking in salah. You know? We're praying and we're planning what's going to be for dinner and, you know, where am I going to go next? What am I going to buy? And you know, I have bills to pay and I have to, that bill to pay. So you're multitasking. Allah is saying, don't multitask. Be present, you know. And you know, this idea of being present is, is you should use it with children also. Sometimes we're talking to children, but we're checking WhatsApp. 
and your children are telling you what they did in school and you're like, yeah, yeah, and what else? Really? Wow. And you're checking Facebook. You don't even know what's going on. You're not being present with your children. Your wife is talking to you, you're on, your, on the phone. Your mother is talking to you, you're on the phone. You have four people sitting on the dining table in a restaurant, all of them on the phone. No one's present. No one's appreciating that moment. So, subhanAllah, if we're not present when people around us, how do you expect us to be present in front of Allah? And by the way, is it rude to not be present in front of your parents? Absolutely. What about in front of Allah? Like, we should be ashamed, right? Not being present in front of Allah. Like, imagine you walking, like the king invites you to his presidential palace, and, you know, you walk in, he's standing right there with a smile, and you're checking your WhatsApp and Facebook. What's he going to do to you? He's going to kick you out. You're not worth his time. But subhanAllah, Allah, out of his mercy, he doesn't kick us out from the palace. When we start in front of him in, in his kingdom, in salah, we are thinking about other things, but he still says, I'll forgive you. It's okay, come back to me next day. You're not blacklisted. You know, keep coming back, it's okay. It's okay. SubhanAllah, this is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here also we're learning the balance between da'wah and worship. Sometimes people get so excited about da'wah, 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 propagating the message, message, message. They're out all night. And then Fajr time, they're snoring. They don't even wake up for Fajr. Allah is saying, don't forget your own personal development in terms of worship and balance it with spreading the message. Balance between two. On the one hand, people, you have both extremes. You have people who are only concerned, concerned about worship they're not concerned about spreading this deen and teaching and sharing this knowledge. On the other hand, you have people so concerned about sharing knowledge, 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 but personal, you ask yourself, like, when was the last time I had khushu in salah? You know? There's no more khushu, there's no more that nice feeling of having connection with Allah. So Allah is saying, no, fuel yourself up, connect with me, get that iman, and then when you go out and propagate that message, it's going to have more impact. Because the fuel is right, it's genuine, right? Allah is teaching us a beautiful formula here. Fuel yourself up, get that khushu', connect with me, and then the next day when you go out and speak and you teach and you share, it's going to have more impact. People are going to understand what you're saying. They're going to connect with you. They're going to relate to you. It's gonna, the words are going to go in the heart. But if, you're, if you have a, like a very dry relationship with Allah and you try to propagate, what's going to happen? The messages are going to be dry, shallow, they're going to bounce off, no impact, you know? There's quantity, yeah, you're giving duros, you're putting up videos, YouTube, but there's no quality. There's no depth, there's no impact. Why? Because you didn't do fa'ila rabbika fargab. You forgot the other part of the formula. And so we need to, you know, وَإِذَا فَرَقْتَ فَانْصَبْ Faragh also means free time. What do we do with our free time? Question, Does, do Muslims have free time nowadays? Yes or no? A lot or a little? A lot of free time. Our kids have a lot of free time. Youth have a lot of free time. Allah is saying in your free time, what do you do? Fansab. Ask Allah, what can I do next, Ya Allah? Or, time for prayer. Time to connect with Allah. So just some, some thoughts about how we spend our time, right? Did you know that... So let me ask you, how many years of your life go into sleeping? How many consecutive years of your life go into sleeping? 
27 years of your life gone into sleeping? What about entertainment like a computer, TV, phone, movies, music? How many years of your life have gone, will be gone into entertainment? Latest studies show that it's 22 years of your life spent in entertainment. What about work? How many years of your life gone into work? If you spend eight hours a day from the moment you start working till the, the age of retirement, that's about 10 years consecutive of your life gone into work. Okay? Anyone adding up the numbers? Okay. What about eating? On average, the human being spends four hours of his life eating. Three hours of your life in the bathroom. And for women, that's more maybe. Yeah? Seven hours or seven years of our life gone in commuting. Transportation, traffic, car, train, plane, taxi, traveling, you know? Household works, three, three years of your life gone. Shopping, two years of your life. So you add all these up, 78 years of your life. You know? So just to give you a perspective of how time flies and how spare time. So just a tip for you, all these things that you're doing, you're going to do anyway, right? Might as well change the intention so you can be rewarded for it. Before sleeping, make intention. Ya Allah, I'm sleeping so I can be fresh next day to be a better Muslim, inshallah. Will you be rewarded for your sleep? Absolutely. In your car, seven years of your life, try to listen to a nice lecture, do istighfar, do dhikr, do something. You know? Call your parents in the car or something, not with the handset, like with Bluetooth, right? But do something quality during those seven years and you'll be rewarded for that. Instead of, you know, listening to the radio, some songs or something, or wasting time getting angry at people. No, benefit yourself. Listen to a podcast, whatever. Audiobooks. While eating, you know, be present with your food, remember? Let the human being look at his food. Allah is calling us to look and reflect on the food, where it came from. So as you're eating that meal, reflect and be thankful and be grateful. You'll be rewarded for the food. Your work. Ya Allah, I'm going to work today because I want to seek halal income. Hopefully you have halal income. And so your work, you'll be rewarded for it. It'll become ibadah for you. Your shopping. Ya Allah, I want to shop so that inshallah I can spend on my family and make them happy. And Then your shopping, going to the mall will be ibadah. You know? So, this, I don't know about entertainment, how you can make, like, that one we need to cut down on, Yani. You can't say, Allah, I'm going on YouTube to watch these comedy shows just so I can feel happy, Allah. Please reward me for it. Yani, I'm not saying it's haram to have a break. Of course, human beings need a break, right? But make it halal breaks, Yani. Nothing that's going to corrupt your heart or your mind. And there is, there is ways you can... Uh, I'm not saying it's haram to watch cricket or whatever, but don't watch seven hours of cricket. Yani. Watch the highlights, you know? So, um, so it's all about intentions, guys. Time is going to go, going to go on these things. Just change the intention and all of this, your life will become ibadah then. Your steep will become ibadah, your work becomes ibadah, your transport becomes ibadah, spending time with family, shopping, this becomes ibadah. It's just about perspective and... And so, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ Let's use our time, free time, wisely, guys. Let's focus on the things that are of priority and of value. And we ask Allah to help us prioritize the things 
that are important that it gains his pleasure and to protect us from things that are wastage of time and things that we will be regretting on the day of judgment. Zakumallahu khayran subhanakallahu bihamdik. Nashadu la ilaha illa ant. Nasafirukum wa tubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.